I'm always stumped after good worship. Never know what to say. One thing I do know, you know, I wish you all happy Father's Day. As I was sitting there meditating on the songs and what they what they speak to me, I realized I have never, ever taken this day to thank my Heavenly Father. <laughs> thank you, Papa. First song made me think of it. It's one of my favorite songs. It just speaks to my life that I've never known a love like this. Thank you, Papa. Have a happy day. <laughs> Terry and I went to lunch Friday. He had a word for the waitress. He asked me if I had a word. I said something and I got just like this. I went, oh, jeez, Father. <laughs> oh. But she was blessed. And we are so blessed to have a good Papa, a good Father. Boy. I was there thinking about the days I didn't know my good daddy. My father wasn't bad, my natural father wasn't bad, but he was a man. How much more my heavenly father is. He is so, so good. And I got to a point in my life when I got to know him, and that's why the song, you know, I never knew a love like you before. Just didn't. Just didn't. And I still have some family members that have no clue what I feel. Now they have a, they they know what I feel, but they have no clue what it's like. But Papa loves them just as much as he loves me. Well, good good father. Thank you, Papa. This is my uh, fourth message here in a row. My brain runs out of stuff, but God never runs out of stuff, so I have a message today. <laughs> it's called, What Do You Believe? You might even say, How Do You Believe? You know, we talked about faith a couple weeks ago, and we've all heard, well, if you just had more faith, How do I do that? How do I have more faith? You know, they, they, they throw it back on you on your shoulders that you have to do something while I tell you you don't have to do something other than believe. And I've, I found a couple things interesting as I, I went through this. And I want to start off with quite a bit of reading here. 
want to start in Mark 5, 21. And we've heard these stories, but I want to go through these stories because I think they're all related on belief. Mark 5, 21, I'm going to read from the NIV because I don't get quite as tongue-tied as some of the others. But let's just go and walk with the Lord in a short distance here. When Jesus said, again, crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come. Put your hands on her and she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. That's a Sela. And had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. But once Jesus realized the power had gone out of him and he turned around to the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knew, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. When Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Do not bother the teacher anymore. Ignoring what they had said, Jesus told them, told the synagogue ruler, do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all the commotion and the wailing? The child is not dead but sleep but is asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples that were with him, and he went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kume, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around, and she was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by 
his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began teaching in the synagogue. And many of them who heard the teaching were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? And he even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? The brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. There's a lot in there. I'll, I'll pull some of it out and tell you what it said to me. First of all, Jesus has in this short span of time an occasion to meet with three people or groups of people who are challenged in their belief. First one, Jairus, ruler of the synagogue. You can imagine he had his robes on and his hat and all his fine attire. And of course, he knew what the rulers of Israel felt about Jesus. Nevertheless, he had a deep need, his daughter. And he came and he laid in the dirt and asked Jesus to come to his house to just touch his daughter, that she might be well. Jesus didn't question him. Jesus didn't say, go do this and that. You know, didn't give him any standards. He says, I will come with you. And as they were going, this woman, obviously no money because she had spent it all on doctors, probably poorly dressed, probably very low self-esteem, had suffered for 12 years, had spent all she had. Nobody could help her. She was desperate. And what she did is, I just need to touch him. If I just put my hand on him, a finger on his robe, he doesn't even have to speak to me. I know I am so desperate. If I touch him, I would be healed. She presses through the crowd, and, you know, I've heard some sermons preached on this, you know, where, you know, she got down and groveled through the dirt and touched the tassels on his robes and all that. The Bible doesn't say that. It's not that dramatic. It's just, I need to touch him. Great connotation in the word touch. And she was healed. She pressed in and touched him and and was healed. Now the thing is, if touching him was all that it took, why not all the people around him, why weren't they all being healed and slain in the spirit and just, you know, like we always like to see these big meetings where they go, take it, and everybody goes down, you know? 
Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, you never said that, did you? Never demonstrated it that way. But all she did is she pressed into the crowd and touched him, unseen by Jesus. But nobody else was healed. Jesus knew someone had taken something from him. He felt the power go out of him. And the word there means dumous. Miraculous power, might, and strength had gone forth out of him just by a simple touch of her hand. Jesus' disciples did not understand, but as you look at the disciples, they didn't understand a whole lot that was going on anywhere, anyhow, anytime. They still had their problems. And when Jesus pressed to say who had touched him, she was afraid that she had done something wrong, that she had offended him, that something was going to happen to her. And she came and fell at his feet and told him the whole truth, everything that was going on. And Jesus just simply said to her, and this is a translation of the Greek, he says, Daughter, the faith of you, the faith of you has healed you. Go in peace and be sound from your affliction of you. Her faith had healed her. She believed if I just touched him, the faith would heal you. And it's 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 amazing. Uh, you know, she didn't have to. She didn't have to give alms. She didn't have to physically do something. She obviously wasn't high status, so there wasn't a whole lot of praise to come from the synagogues. Probably very few people even knew about her sickness because it would be such a cultural shame at that time. Why was she so different? Even though she faced rejection, why was she so different? See, she connected, she believed in Jesus. She believed that she could give her problem to Jesus and I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but he will take care of my problem. She connected her faith to Jesus. She, in a very real sense, became intimate with Jesus. There was that attachment that she had, and he knew it. And his spirit flowed into her. In the meantime... Here's Jairus, whose daughter is dying. And I can imagine, you know, doesn't say any of this, but I can imagine he's standing on the side going, I'm the ruler of the synagogue. Come on, Jesus. You said you were going to come with me. It's my daughter. Don't you understand? Jesus takes time to take care of the woman. But while Jairus is standing there, a servant comes and says, your daughter's already dead. Don't even bother him anymore. Don't bother him at all. And Jesus heard what was being said, and he says, don't fear. That word means don't be put to flight. Don't fear. Do not let this make you run off. Stay right where you are. You'll see. You'll see. Don't be put to flight. And 
you notice he only took Peter, James, and John with him and, and Jairus to Jairus' house. He left the crowd. He told them to stay. And he left nine of his disciples. You will not come with me. You will not be involved in this. I'm sure they wondered why. Who are these three that get to go with Jesus? Why don't we get to go? But Jesus had his reasoning because he knew what he was going to face. He told the man, Jairus, do not fear, do not be put to flight. He says, only believe. We take for granted what these words mean. It's the English language. It's a rotten language to learn, hard to learn. But I looked it up. What does believe mean? It means to entrust. Gives you a different idea of what believe means. Jesus says, just entrust this to me. Entrust this to me. Don't run off. Don't worry about what they're doing there or what they're doing there. Just entrust this to me. If you would, just rest in me. So they get on to the house, and what do they do? They come up on these people crying and wailing, which is a cultural, uh, even more than probably what everybody had, because they paid wailers to come and cry at people's funerals, you know, and stuff. And more crying and wailing, the greater the person was, I guess. And Jesus says, what's going on here? The girl's just asleep. And Jesus faces the thing that all of us face when the Lord has told us to do something. He faces the laughter. He faces the ridicule and the deridement, the mocking that we all face when God tells us, trust me and trust this to me. Just come on. Well, Jesus isn't done throwing people out. He throws all of them out. Get out of the house. And they clear them all out of the house. And just the mom and dad and the three disciples go in with him to the little girl. And he takes her hand. And he didn't anoint her with oil. He didn't speak in tongues over her. He didn't go through a long commotion of begging the father to do something here. He just said, little girl, get up. And many times I've had people tell me after I prayed for them, they didn't like my prayer. Because it wasn't thee and thou and in the name of Jesus and come out. And, and it's even gotten worse now because I, my prayers are... Thank you, God, for the healing that this person has already. Let it manifest in them. And thank you, Papa. Well, that wasn't a good prayer. It didn't move anybody. You know, I didn't shake and quake and stuff. Jesus just goes in and says, Little girl, get up. Sign of authority. He knew who he was, and he knew who his father was. But he threw all those people out. First, uh, why, is, why was this situation different? What, what happened here? 
Jared, the ruler of the synagogue, the same as the old lady, connected a need he had to the answer of Jesus. Approached it totally a different way. She snuck in and drew on his spirit. And he fell. And you can imagine Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, laying at the dirt before this man that a lot of people thought was a blithering idiot and asked him to come. And Jesus said, entrust her to me. Very hard thing to do when you're going through circumstances, especially with your children. And it doesn't mean just a healing. It could be anything that goes on with our kids. And God just says, entrust it to me. No, I've got to do something. I've got to make it work. No, entrust it to me. And he faced real rejection and ridicule, Jesus did. But he didn't care. He didn't care. Let the naysayers nay. Just like donkeys. I'll put it that way. And he cast out all the unbelief. He would not let anybody come in that did not believe. So, you know, it, it wasn't a show for the world. It was for this little girl that was entrusted for him. When you go and you do ministry, it may be you and just the person. It may be you and one or two other people. You don't need an audience. Jesus wasn't there to build his ego. See, we would have done it today. Bring the child out and lay her before me. Watch me as I do this wonderful thing. Rise up, child. It's not him. It's his father, his papa. It is who that was in him, who he knew. Who he knew. Jesus believed his father. He entrusted the little girl to his father. Jairus gave it to Jesus. Jesus gave it to his father. Jesus had to believe. So you can imagine all that, and he says, don't, even, don't talk about this. You know, if I walked in some room and told little girl get up and she came back from the dead, I'd, I'd tell everybody. <laughs> Wouldn't be what the Lord probably want me to do, but it's obvious. That's one of the things when Jesus told somebody not to say something. Oh, she was dead, but, you know, don't tell anybody about it, but here comes a little girl walking out of the house. <laughs> How did that happen? Now Jesus went with his, all his disciples and he moved back to a time to Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. And he went and he talked in the synagogue. And people were amazed at his, his wisdom and his teaching and the miracles he did. And, but they fell back into the sin of being familiar. See, they go, well, isn't this the carpenter, the carpenter's son, Mary? I know his sister's. Nah, this guy can't be anybody. 
I know his family. You remember Jesus even had problems with his family on what he was doing. Well, the neighbors like to talk too. We like to fall to what is common. They, they made this man common. They made Jesus common, which means they fell below the ordinary standards. They made him less of who he was because I know him. I know what he's like. All these little rabbit trails keep dropping in on me. Anytime you have a problem and you're struggling with something and you, and you go to somebody and they go, I know what you've done before. I know what you're like. You'll never make it. How can you do it? I know, I, I know, you, I know your mother and your father and your brothers. And you're just like them. You fall below even what is ordinary. You become common. And I'm sure you've all had that happen in your life. People's expectations. They even took offense with him. And to take an offense means to put a snare in his way. And it caused them to stumble. And Jesus marveled at the unbelief. The unbelief, not the belief, the unbelief. And only could do a few healings. And he could not do any works of power. But he's God. He was God in the flesh. Where does belief come in on this? See, Jairus and the woman believed. Two different people, two different stories, two different things. But they trusted with their problem. They believed. They, they entrusted it to Jesus. The people in the town didn't entrust it to Jesus. That's just the carpenter's son. He can come fix my table, but he can't fix my life. If you don't entrust it to Jesus, there's very little he can do. Now that doesn't mean you have to do something. Do, do, do something. It means you rest in him. Rest in his word. Rest in what he says about you. Know what he says about you. Find out what he says about you if you don't know. But if there's no trust... If there's no belief, only rejection and ridicule, what do you expect? How do we find this belief? How do we get this belief to open up to us? Where do we learn to entrust everything to Jesus? I read a little book along with this, and I had read it before. It was Graham Cook you know who Graham Cook is and he has a, a little book called The Language of the Promise and I took a, a number of these things that I'm going to talk about real quick here from Graham Cook I want to read out of the Young's Literal Translation which is a translation done years ago of literally what the Greek words mean and I enjoy reading this sometimes it's a little tongue-twisted trying to, to get it, but you'll recognize this 
verse. It's Mark 12, 28 through 31. Starts off, and this is Young's literal translation. And one of the scribes, having come near, having heard them disputing, knowing what he answered them well, questioned him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commands, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God out of all thy heart, and out of all thy soul, and out of all thine understanding, and out of all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Greater than these there is no other command. Again, those are verses that you know we've all heard and we've heard, all heard preached on. And I think a lot of it, we, we just have taken for granted the, the skimming of the surface. Graham Cook states, As powerful as this command is, is that Jesus will not ask us to do something he has not already done himself. I never thought of that in this command. He goes on to say, Never doubt that you are absolutely and completely loved by God. Your role in life is to receive that love and return it to Him and pass it on to everyone around you, both Christian and pre-Christian. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus loved us before we even knew who He was. Love originated in God. In 1 John 4.19 it says, We love because first he loved us. And Graham Cook continues to say, He is continually our lover and we are continually his beloved. This should be the focus and basis for believing. You can trust him, you can entrust to him, you can believe in him because he loved you. He loved you before you even knew who he was. He loved me when I had no clue that his name was just used as an adjective or profanity. Everything that is good and right come from the Father who never changes. It is his consistency and faithfulness that is the bedrock and our ability to receive. Our belief is because of who he is. It simply does not depend on us. He is the origin, the cause, and the motive, and the source of every gift. We do nothing. He loved us, and so then we can entrust everything we need, everything we desire, we can entrust to him. We can believe that he will do it. Romans eleven thirty five and 36 from the mirror version of the Bible. Is God indebted to anyone? 
everything originates in him, finds both its authentic expression, its ultimate conclusion in him. His opinion rules the ages. What's his opinion? What's his opinion about you? You're my son. You're my daughter who I'm well pleased. And my favorite verse, as he is, so am I right now in the world. I am just like Jesus. Boy, that would kick me out of a lot of churches this morning. We cannot but agree with our yes and all of God. Amen. So again, I said, what is his opinion of you? You weren't chosen because you were deserving or clever or brilliant or handsome or noble or even good. He chose you because he is good. He is good. Out of his love and, and his promises, you were selected as his treasure. God's faithfulness has been the bedrock of his dealings with humanity throughout time. God cannot change. He cannot be anything other than who he is. So how do we get to this point of belief? How, how do we get to that point of trusting? This is probably one of the hardest things for us to do. It's Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. See, after all I've, I've given you, it's all, you don't do anything. You stand and let it just pour over you. Just got an image of how they used to anoint the, the prophets. They'd stand and pour oil over them. They were just still and the anointing was poured over them. They didn't do anything. They stood still. And the Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. That's a hard place to start. Meditation has, in some respects, gotten a bad rap because of some of the silliness of it. But I was that first song was playing that I've never known a love like this before. To sit and just meditate on that one line. To take a half hour and just to let the Lord speak. And just say that back to him. I've never known a love like this before. Let him love you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to pull out your wallet and show your membership card. You don't have to put anything in the basket. He just wants to pour on you like oil. Meditation is a good place to start. As you meditate, you will find that you uh, upgrade your level of peace. I'm married to a woman who's a doer. She has to be doing something. I'm a person who can turn off the TV and sit in my chair and close my eyes and not sleep. But if I sleep, it's okay. I can just shut down and go with my thoughts. 
I don't have to be doing something. Doing something doesn't earn me anything in the kingdom of God. I did not get any attaboy badges from the Father. And as you meditate and you think, focus not on your flaws or the cracks in your character. You have many other people to do that for you. But meditate on your hidden treasures, the things that God says about you. Let them come to the surface and the result will be the rid of your own carnality when you see your worth in God. That is grace. Grace says, I see not your flaws, but I see who you are. And those things that have messed you up in your carnality, the thinking of your own flesh, those things will slowly go away. You will start to see God as who he is. You will start seeing God's love for you more than before. That's not true. God never loved you more than bef- now than before. He's always loved you 100%. So you don't even get an attaboy from meditating and thinking about his love. Oh, he loves me more than he loved me yesterday. Nope, I'm the best one he's got. And he's always told me that. I don't care about any of you, but I know I'm the best. The thing is, he says it all about you too. You're his best. You're his workmanship. He has loved you 100% from the creation of the world. So real quick back to Mark 5 and 6. The woman and Jairus. Though different need and circumstances, method, position in life, stepped in front of Jesus. God's love, you see, me. And you have seen the Father. They stepped before the Father. And the Father reached out and touched them. So what do you believe and how do you believe? Just summed up in this. Entrust yourself to God's love. And be still. And know that he is God. Selah. Yea, God. Amen. Amen. Amen.